could actually change the world. Is it a biblical thought to think that we can change the world? It is. Actually, it's not just a biblical thought. It's a biblical illustration. We have biblical example. We actually have biblical commands to, to change the world, to affect the world. But often the change in the world that, that, that we can affect isn't necessarily what we might think about. The biggest change that we can make in our world is one by one. You know, uh, I cannot change the entire philosophy of the world. I wish I could. The philosophy, uh, instead of being what it is, I, I would have the philosophy of love, real love, biblical love, Jesus love, sacrificial love, the agape love, the, the, the love of giving up of yourself for other people more and above everything. That's the kind of love the world needs. You know, the world talks about love. But I just wonder if they really understand love. Because, listen, I used to be the world, amen? So was you, right? And your concept of love was different. Oftentimes, like for me, my concept of love is uh, my love, love for me, love the things that I love, what I want, right? It was a me-centered love. But the Jesus-centered love is God and others. Isn't it? Um, what's the Bible say? That we're to love God, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and we're to love others as ourselves, right? Something to that effect? Loving God and loving others. That doesn't have a whole lot of room for just me love, right? Or the things that I want. I would change the world like that. I would change some laws I would up the speed limit in Chiswick to 30, in, or at least 50, and not 20, as it was changed about a year and a half ago. I would change a lot of laws. W would you? What laws would you change? If you could change the world, what would you change in the world? Emily. <laughs> okay. No theory test for drive. Is that Ann? <laughs> no visa requirements. What else would you change? Healthcare? Oh, park, oh, I'm with you, Rona. Absolutely. I got a parking ticket the other day on my motorbike because I took Emily to one of her theory tests there at Kingston, and I paid and displayed like normal, and I came back, and Emily had taken her theory test. Can I tell them how many times? Okay. <laughs> Emily took the theory test four times. And she struggled with the hazard perception test. So this fourth time, just last Tuesday, I took her to the test, and she texted me, I'm done. And I wrote back, and, like, what happened? No response. I'm like, oh, no. She failed again, and I'm thinking, can I just walk home and leave her there? <laughs> I cannot face the emotional depth in which she would be. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking and thinking, maybe she wants to surprise me. Ha, ha, ha. So I get there, and she's like just standing there shaking. Her face is kind of red, and I thought, is she crying? And I walked up to her, and she goes, I haven't even looked at the paper. I, I can't even look at it. Here, you look at it. She handed it to me backwards and upside down, and so it's taken me like, five years to figure out where it says you've passed or failed on the exam. And I, I looked at it, and I went, and she starts crying. <laughs> and I said, honey, I'm kidding. You passed. It says congratulations. So she changed the theory test. But but I got a crazy parking ticket. And I, and I walked up to the Lord, and I said, why'd you give me a parking ticket? And she said, you need to rephrase that first. I said, I'm sorry. Why did... I get a parking ticket because she said, I didn't give it to you. And I said, but okay, why? Because why? I'm, I'm happy about it. And she said, well, let's see. Well, you did pay for it. Oh. She said, you put in the wrong reg, reg plate registration. So my, my plate is LF15 BPX. I put in LB15 BPX. But she said, just fight it. Or what's that word? Con contest it. There you go. And you'll be fine. So it's good. I'm with you, Rona. Let's change parking. What else would you change? What would you change in this world? If it not laws, what? Lower taxation. What else would you change? Lower 
Free, <laughs> free housing. Jacob. <laughs> Jacob is against electric cars. So are there any other like deeper issues that if you could affect the world for change, honestly, what would you change? I would change everybody's mindset so that they would think that there's nothing more important than life itself. You know? That they wouldn't kill little babies. And they wouldn't discard uh, old folks and leave them to rot and die. You know what I mean? I would change that philosophy that they would love life. What else would you change? Anything? As a church, we are called to change the world, but not necessarily called to change uh, taxation or change laws or change, change the things that they do out there. Because you know what? We can change all day long and make laws and actually make laws to, to, to make moral laws. Say, you can't drink. You can't hate. You can't do all things, these things. We can make those kinds of laws, but those will never change the heart. So even on the outside, if you change the laws and people on the outside, you know, don't hate, don't get drunk, which means, you know, drink, driving, and, and, and do you know there are more people that die in car accidents by drink driving than any kind of other methodology of like guns or knives or anything like that? Did you know that? Multiply thousands of people every year die in our nations because of drink driving. If we changed all these laws, do you know what? They will still sneak drink. They will still hate in their heart. They will still do the things that they want to do. So we're not called to make those changes. What we're called to do is to make the change of, in a man's heart or to help facilitate a man to be changed in their heart. That's our great commission, to go and preach the gospel whereby people are truly changed, you know, whereby people are made different on the inside and then baptize them. Baptizing means allowing them the opportunity to declare to the world that they are following Christ and putting that old life behind them. That's the change that we are being called to make in this world. But guess what? We can't do it on our own. So when we've been looking at this transformational church, the church in Antioch, how it changed the world. It did change the world. Did you realize that the Jerusalem church never really on their own, evangelized outside of their own nation. It wasn't until Peter with Cornelius that they actually went to evangelize a non-Jewish believer. But even after that, with Cornelius, the church didn't adopt an aggressive ministry outside their walls, outside their borders, to, to get the gospel to other people. So God did it for them. Do you remember how the Lord got the gospel outside the borders of Israel? Do you remember, Renee? You're probably thinking of some things, but you're not sure if that's the one I'm thinking about. So I'll help you out. Stephen and Saul. Remember? Saul started persecuting the church so badly that uh, they, they were, he was causing people, people to blaspheme Christ and he was putting them to death. And the Bible says that because of the persecution of Saul that was happening and because of what happened to Stephen, the followers of Jesus were dispersed from Jerusalem all the way up north and everywhere in between from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch of Syria. And that's about somewhere roughly between four to 600 miles distance that they covered. That's a huge amount of territory from Israel all the way up into, into, into what we now know as 
a part of Syria. That's how the gospel got outside their doors. They did not evangelize as a church beyond their borders. And that didn't happen until the church of Antioch. And when the church started in Antioch and it grew, Barnabas and Saul, Paul by now, Barnabas and Paul, well, still Saul, but eventually, you know who I'm talking about, right? Barnabas and Paul spent a year, year and a half teaching, exhorting, and guiding that church. The Spirit of God got a hold of the leaders of that church, and the Spirit of God said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry and, and put your hands on them, pray for them, and send them out of this joint and let them go and tell the world about Jesus. That's how the gospel uh, dispersion around the world began. And it all began with the Spirit of God working in the believers of that church. The, the Bible tells us that that church had power, that those believers in Christ were influenced were obedient to, were yielded to, were guided by the living Spirit of God that was in them. They had a relationship with Him. They had a living relationship with Him. There was such a relationship with the Spirit of God amongst those believers that it changed them. They were Gentiles predominantly. Not solely, but predominantly Gentiles. They were the dogs of the world, according to the Jews, but they were the ones that sent support back to Jerusalem when they were in need, and there was a famine down there. The Spirit of God was moving greatly in that church. Do you know what I'm describing here? There was a feeling and power of God working in their lives. So, when it came time for them to obey and send Paul and Barnabas out, they did it. And that one act of obedience eventually changed the entire world because the gospel began to flow throughout the world. And folks, from that church, it eventually got to here. Amen? And that's due to the feeling and the power of the Spirit of God. You want to change the world? To change the world, we need to do what God has called us to do. And to do what God has called us to do, put the gospel out there, means that we need to have the power of God inside of us. We need to be yielded to God exercising his power within us by listening to him, by obeying him, by doing what he wants us to do. We as Christians, if you're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's not some second act of God that comes on a Christian. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not a flamboyant outward uh, show by God's presence inside of you that, that people see. See, the power of God is simply God working inside of you in a, let me see if I can use this word, The filling of the Holy Spirit is actually due to a dynamic relationship that you have with Christ. In other words, a living, a living, active relationship with God produces or allows the Spirit of God to work inside of you as we do not grieve Him. That is the filling of the Spirit of God. There's no speaking in tongues. There's no flamboyant outward showing of the Spirit of God. It is simply a power that is, is working inside of you, and it is through that power that changes the world. That was what happened at Antioch. If you read Acts 12, 13, 14 in that area, you will see over and over again that it talks about Barnabas being filled with the Spirit, meaning yielded to the Spirit. It talks about uh, four or five men that are in the church of Antioch that are yielded to the Spirit of God. It talks about Paul, obviously, being yielded to the Spirit of God. All of that show, is showing the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. So if we want to change the world, and we need to want to change the world because we're told to change the world through the Great Commission. If that's going to happen, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, tells us that 
we need to be filled with the Spirit and nothing else. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians 5.18. Let's just back up a little bit. Uh, and turn me down just a hair, I think. I'm hearing an echo. Thank you. Let's go back to verse 15 just for context. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me read that again. And I'll define some of the words. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. In this verse, the apostle issues a command. Listen, he issues us a command. He says, you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God. It's as forceful of a command as you can imagine in the Word of God. I mean, you might not actually be able to find in the Greek understanding a more forceful command in the New Testament than to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's on the equal, it's on the equal bounds, really, as other commands that we find in Scripture where it says run from sexual immorality, free, flee lust, run away from that stuff. The strength of that command we understand, right? Run, run, run. Don't get near it. Don't touch it. Don't let it touch you. Just don't tempt it. Don't test it. Don't, don't even take a peek at it. Get away from it. That same strength of command is to us Christians as saying, be filled with the Spirit of God. Not with wine. Be filled with the Spirit of God. It's also, it's also, Equal to this command, which is not so much negative, more positive. Real quick, turn to James chapter 1, verse 22, if I can find it. James 1, 22. Again, I'll start in verse 21 for context. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. I like that. Which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. Do you hear that command? But be doers of the word and not hearers only. That is a strength of a command that Paul says, listen. You don't have an option. If you want to be in obedience to God, if you want to obey the Scriptures, then you must, I lost my page, but you must be doers of the Word and not just listening to the commands. You must obey them. So the strength of those two commands, they're not an option for us. You can't sit down, well, you know what, I might think about not getting around lust. Well, I might think about just doing the Word of God and not only hearing it. There are no options there. So the strength of the command where it says, be filled, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. That command to be filled with the Spirit is an equal, equal bounds with those two commands and other commands of the Bible, means, which means this. Guys, we don't have an option here. All of us are to be filled with the Spirit of God. Problem is, don't watch God TV to explain to you what being filled with the Spirit of God is. Read the Word of God. You know what really being filled with the Spirit of God is? It's having that dynamic relationship with Christ. It is having a living relationship with Jesus where you and I are humbled to his leadings, that we're obedient to his leadings. I'll talk about it in a moment, but it really means to be acquiesced to God's working 
in your life. That's what being filled with the Spirit of God is. Now, Paul uses a really strange verse here, Ephesians 5.18, to issue this command. The problem is, to be filled with the Spirit of God, there is no specific formula in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit. Paul simply says, and there's other places, but he simply says, do not be drunk with wine. In other words, don't allow other things to influence your actions. Don't, because what does wine do? What does alcohol do? As soon as you drink it, no matter what your opinion of, is of alcohol, and I'm not talking about that today, but no matter how much alcohol you would take into your body, we talked about this a little bit the other day, no matter how much you take in, it affects you. Whether you can feel it, whether you can sense it, whether you even, whatever, there is a chemical reaction going on in your body that is beginning to influence you. That's what's happening. So Paul is saying, do not take into your life something that is going to influence you for reckless actions, for things that are anti the word of God. So in order to not do that, he says, yield yourselves, be filled, be guided, be acquiescing to the spirit of God in your life. Because guess what? As soon as you're born again, you receive God's spirit in your life. He's there, Christian, already living inside you. At the moment of belief, boom. And, and we've gone in Sunday school and in church many, many times over the years. We've talked about the biblical truth of immediate reception of the Holy Spirit at point of belief. So scripturally, we understand that. So Paul is saying, if you want to change the world to be an Antioch Christian, an Antioch church, then you need to be yielded to the Spirit of God. And we are people who like formulas, don't we? I do. Alex probably does. I've never asked him, but you're an accountant-type person, you know, doing our, our books for the church. You like formulas because it keeps everything in order, right? You don't have a formula in Scripture to be filled with the Spirit of God except one thing. You must be born again. You get saved, you get the Spirit of God. But I got a question for you. And we're not going to finish this lesson today. So I'm not in a hurry. I'm just going to take it as, as, as we go. Because we must change this world. But we can't do it, Marcy, through laws. We have to do it through people. And the only way we can do it through people is by the gospel of Christ. And the only way we can really see the gospel of Jesus working in this world is if we're yielded to the Spirit of God to listen to God as he did the church in Antioch when he told them, hey, send Paul and B out on this missionary journey. So we need to be as yielded to that Spirit of God to say, what did you say, Lord? Go talk to that person. God, help me do that. What did you say, Lord? Do you want me to do this? We need to be listening to the Spirit of God through his word, through teaching and preaching, through the guidance of other godly Christian people in our life, we need to listen to the Spirit of God that's working inside of us. And we need to be yielded and obedient to that, to Him. So, let me ask you a question. Why do you think the Bible actually doesn't give us a formula for being filled, but only shares the aspects, what being filled looks like? Why do you think it doesn't tell us a formula? Think about it, because I bet you would get the answer if you think about it. Did you hear that? See, if there was a formula, we would work too hard at doing the formula instead of living, what did you say? Instead of living the life of being filled with the Spirit. I put it this way. I put it like this. We would work so hard at being, following that formula to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, but we wouldn't work at the relationship of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and therefore we would not have the heart of why 
we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? We are doers as human beings. And if we were just given a task list to be filled with the Spirit of God, then we would just check off the boxes to be filled, but wouldn't care about the person, Jesus. To be. Thank you, Stephen. If you have a question, just call. I'll keep my phone. Uh, we're feeding all the people in the room downstairs, and we're going to feed your kids and your spouses and anybody else extra that's around. So he's going to pick up the food. That's where he's headed now. So that's what would happen. But see, God doesn't want us to just be brick-and-mortar Christians. Slab of, a slab of prayer, a brick of Jesus, a slab of Bible, a brick of church, a slab of this, a brick of that. That's, doesn't, that's not what he wants. Do you know what he wants with us? He wants a living relationship with Jesus. He wants you to love him and to experience him and to obey him and to walk with him and to sense his presence in your life. That's power, folks. Amen? That's what it is. And that's why he doesn't give us a formula, but he gives us aspects. Now, we talked about these weeks ago, so you probably don't remember them. So let me just tell you what they are. What are the aspects? The aspects are, first, it's conversion. You can't have God's power without being saved. It's just ridiculous. Then secondly, it's surrender. You ever seen a Christian that is not yielded to God have power in their life? It's not possible. Do, do you know what? Probably... Uh, if you were to ask me, what is the, okay, we, Lisa and I just celebrated our 29th wedding anniversary a few weeks ago on the 19th of May. Someone went up to Lisa and said, what's your secret? Now, I can't remember what she said, but here's what I think our secret is. It might not be the best word, but here's the secret. Emily and, and Jacob back there, it, it's because they kiss too much. That's their secret. ha. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't argue that one. <laughs> Do you know, compromise. Do you know what the key to our relationship is? Compromise. It is when, when we both want something, and and we have. There's been times when we both wanted something or to do something, and we just were not willing to give in to the other. That caused problems, didn't it? That, that, that calls a loggerhead, that causes a disruption in the, in, the, in the relationship that we have with one another. So you know what we've both discovered? Sometimes what we want doesn't matter more than the health of the relationship and the relationship itself. So you know what you do? Fine, we can eat chicken instead of steak. Amen? Or we can eat one-pot meals instead of chicken, potatoes, and veg. The silly stuff. But you understand what I'm meaning, right? It's called surrendering. Do you know in the military, there is an aspect of, of, of training that we go through that sometimes to win a victory, you have to give in defeat of some things. In other words, to win an overall battle, you might have to pull away and lose a little battle to win the war. Do you know in the Christian life, there's never a time when we win when we fight God. We always win when we, when we surrender to God. You want power? You've got to be saved. You have to have a life of surrender. And then you know what? We don't talk about this enough. But if we want to be filled with the existing presence of power of God in our life, not only do we need to be saved, not only do we need to have a heart of surrender, we also need to change and run from sinful behaviors in our life. Be afraid of the simplest sins. Be afraid. Be afraid of, of even the glimpse of the possibility to go into sin. Do you understand that? In my mind, I picture it like this. That room is sin. Don't matter what the sin is. You, you can name it whatever sin you want. But that door is sin. And I know that door is sin. 
But the problem is, here's where most Christians like to live, and I end up doing this at times too. We live right here on the door. So you know what we do? We hear what's inside the door. We smell what's inside the door. And every occasion, we pop the door and say, whoop, up, there you go. We start. And then that little thing becomes this. And then guess what happens? It becomes this. You see, you be afraid of sin. Because you know what sin does? Sin, what's the Bible verse? Renee, help me because you're good at remembering them real quick. But I have to give you like the guidance. Lust, sin, death. Lust brings sin, sin brings. What's that verse? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? When lust is conceived or something, sin is conceived, brings forth lust, lust brings death, something of that nature. But the point is this. Sin kills you. You can't lose your salvation as a believer, but you surely can lose our power. When we get involved in sin, it affects our mind, and we don't look to Christ. We look to that temptation. We look to those desires. It controls. You ever been controlled by sin? Christian, it, it can happen. So, so what we need to do is we need to change simple, change sinful behavior, but also Stay away from the temptations of symbol, sinful behavior. There are things I simply do not do anymore and don't even go close to them. There are protections in our life that we need to put there so we don't even get near the door. Amen? Listen, well, I could go into illustrations, but you understand what I'm saying. If we're going to change the world, we need to be, have the power of God in our life. To have the power of God in our life, you don't send $237 to Creflo Dollar or Joyce Myers or Benny Hinn for them to pray for you to have power. You stay away from that stuff. You don't say, well, I need to pray three times a day and read my Bible 62 times an hour and you know, go to church 500 times. There's no checklist. You know what you do? Get saved. Be surrendered, stay away from sin, and then lastly, trust and have faith in God and do what he says. You know, when trying to determine the difference bet differences between a checklist for being filled with power and simply the aspects of being filled, here's a good quote for you to have. Because none of these are a checklist. They're aspects. You need to be born again to have the Spirit of God. You need to be surrendered consistently every day, heart surrendered to God. Satan doesn't want you to surrender. He's bombarding you with stuff. The world's bombarding you with stuff. Everybody's bombarding you with stuff, but you need to stay surrendered to God. You need to keep sin far out of your life. You need to change behavior, possibly. You need to put safety parameters in your life to keep you from sin. Accountability with other people, if need be. To keep you away from sin. And then lastly, you just need to walk in faith and trust God. So what's this quote I think might be helpful to you? Listen to this. Experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit is a more, bear with me, is more about releasing something within you than obtaining something you don't already have. Do you hear it? Experiencing the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life is more about releasing the work of God that's already in you rather than obtaining something that you do not have. So the point is this. Every single person in this room, we all, if you're born again, as you surrender, as you fight to keep your life clean from sin, and as you walk in faith, you enable the releasing of the power of God in your life because he's already there it's like this cup i got somewhere that water's contained in there it's already there and it's already mine all that i need to do to have it is for it to be released from that cup in this circumstance the way it's released is 
you simply drink it. The way you release God's power in our life is that as a believer, we live in these aspects of our Christian life. You don't have to do anything to have power. You already have the ability to have power. And if you live a surrendered Christian life, you have that power in your life. You've experienced it. You've sensed it. You've realized it. You've, you've known it at times in your life. But you've also experienced probably times of a lack of power. And if you look at your life, it could be related to maybe your... Remember when I told you the story about coming to England? God was telling me to surrender to come to England, but I told God no, that I would not come to England. Didn't want to come, had no desire. Matter of fact, I was fighting really hard not to come. And after a short period of time, I realized something in my life. I wasn't right with God. And you know what? More importantly, the people around me knew. Without ever them asking me, pastor knew something was wrong with me. Lisa knew. She told me, say, you're cranky. You're angry. You're not pleasant to be around. You need to get this right with God. We knew what was going on, and it was a lack of surrender in my life. I wasn't hearing it. I wasn't hearing God. I wasn't sensing his power. I wasn't doing anything because I was not surrendered. Does that make sense to you? So that's where we need to live. And look, it's just like everything else in our Christian life. It's a work. Something we've got to strive for. And when we realize when we're in sin, we can confess it before the Lord. So being filled with God's power, it's about living in the aspects of this Christian faith so that God's powers continue released, continually released in our life. Because being filled with the Spirit of God involves acquiescence to the heart of God. Do you know what that means? It's what we've been talking about already. Acquiescence is a fancy word for surrender and obedience. That's where it's at. Do you know why I think a lot of Christians lack the power, the presence, the acknowledged presence, the sensing of God in their life? Maybe because there's something wrong in our life. And maybe we need to look at that. Hey, are you, are you so sensitive to the Spirit of God that you hear His voice in the preaching and teaching? When you read the Word of God, there are times when it's dry and cold. It'll happen. But being surrendered to the Spirit of God, more times than not, you're going to hear from, the, from God in His Word. Are you sensitive as in the everyday leadings of your life? Are you sensitive to the leadings of the Spirit of God in your life? That will show you where you're at. And if you don't answer yes to most of those things, maybe you need to look and say, Lord, where in these aspects I'm not, I'm not right yet. Because it boils down to this, surrender and obedience, surrender and obedience, surrender and obedience. You want to be filled, surrender and obedience. You want to change the world with the power of God, surrender and obedience. So let me give you some steps. Amen? I like steps. You like steps? There's no steps to being filled with the Spirit of God. But there are some spiritual disciplines, and we'll end with this. There are some spiritual disciplines that, that we can participate in that can help, uh, what's the word, bring about a walking with the Lord that brings about the power of God in your life. So everybody look up at me. I've got about five, six, seven, eight spiritual disciplines so let me ask you what do you think they are if we are to be surrendered to god and obedience to god as a believer in christ who's saved walking by faith what are the things that we could help what that we can do what are some of the spiritual disciplines that we can do to help help us in this process in this aspect of being filled with God's Spirit. Bring them. You're on. Tell me, what are some of the disciplines? What? 
Prayer. Why? Why? Communicating to God. Why is prayer so important? You think you were getting off so easy just shouting out some things. Eh-eh. So speak up because I'm not sure if I told everybody, but apparently I'm almost close to needing a hearing aid in this year, and I can't hear most of what y'all say on this side. So just speak up loud to me. So communicating to God, prayer. But why is that so important? It's a part of our relationship with God. Why is prayer so important? Say it again. Yes, reminds us on our um, dependence on God. Praying. What is so important, more of this, about praying? It aligns our will with his. It aligns our will with his. Not it aligns his will with ours. Do you see the difference? Do you know what prayer is so important about? It's communication. It's dependence. It is, what did you say? It's the two-way. It's, it's not just speaking, but it's listening. Have you ever in your prayer time just sat and listened? I'm not, I'm not being weird or nothing. But there have been times, just last week, that my prayers, my prayer time was this, dear Lord. And I just meditated on the word, and I would talk to him as, you know, your names. I didn't open my prayer list, so I wasn't praying from that list. I was praying as the Lord spoke to my heart, and I prayed for different people that the Lord brought. And I listened to him. Do you know what the key to prayer is? I think someone said it, but it's everything that you said, but it, it helps us in our relationship with him. Listen, do you have a friend? I know you do. Marcy, do you have a friend? You, uh, you, you have one friend, right? Name one friend. Jessica. Do you communicate with Jessica? Yeah. If you did not, is this the one in America? Yeah. If you did not communicate with her at all, what would happen? That, that connection of relationship would, would just come apart a little bit. doesn't mean that it ends completely, but it does come apart. Do you know what's so important about the spiritual discipline of prayer? It's just not us talking to God. It's us talking to God, but listening to God. It's a relationship. It's having that communication that keeps us close together. Do you understand? So that's why I tell you, I don't care where you pray, just pray. I don't care if you have 20 minutes at home or an hour at home or if you do, do it wherever you do it. Just talk to God. Do you, do you know, oftentimes my, I have a prayer time, but my, my, the, my, the majority of my prayers is all day long just as they come. Is that how you do it as well? I bet it is. Listen, you got to keep that up. You know, 8.30 in the morning when the Bainans are driving from Kent or wherever you live. Is it Kent still? But it's Crawford or Crowley or Cornwall. What, what's the name of the place? Ah, see, I knew it was a C. As you're driving in from Cranbrook that hour and a half, I bet there are times when I'm sleeping, and the kids are sleeping, and you're talking to Jesus. Ten years, I guarantee you that has been times, or vice versa. <laughs> Renee's sleeping, and I'm talking. I don't know. But you know, you need to talk for that relationship and that communication. It's a spiritual discipline. And if you're not talking to Jesus, there is a problem in, a, in your relationship. Let me explain. Lisa and I have a pretty good relationship. Not perfect. Kids know. You know, sometimes my wife's not right about things. I have to straighten out. I'm kidding. But do you know what the success of our relationship really is on? We talk. We communicate. Sometimes we just go up to Costa or something just because she's had kids too much of the day and she needs adult conversation. 
And it's in those times that she pours her heart out and I listen. And there are times when I talk and she listens. There are times that we both talk and we're just talking, talking, talking. Do you understand what I'm saying? I spent a lot of time on this, but, you know, you've got supplications. You've got all kinds of different prayers in the Bible. You've got times of prayer. You've got places of prayer. But the point is you need to pray. If we want power, we need to talk. And it's in those times that Lisa and I have talked where we've gotten to the to the issue of a problem or we've gotten to the answer of a problem or we've communicated through a trial or a challenge. Do you understand what I mean? That's what you need to do with Jesus. You need to talk to him. That's discipline. One. Got another one? We got 10 minutes, so we'll take the time. But give me another discipline. Not steps, but a discipline that we do so that we can enable ourselves to have a relevant, dynamic relationship with the Lord whereby we sense His power in our life. Okay, get right with God, meditation, confession, that's kind of more like the prayer of talking and listening. How about an easy one? Let's just give you an easy one. Bible reading. There is no other greater discipline that I think is devalued in the Christian life than Bible reading. Do you know, I think a lot of Christians think, if I can, when I can, when I'm reminded to, if it fits into my schedule, that's when I read my Bible. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not attacking anybody, but I think if I ask publicly, if you've read your Bible seven days, most of us would not say seven days this past week. I, amen. I imagine that at least 40% of the church, by talking, by reading, by seeing other statistics, I imagine 40% of the church, r- believers, real believers in Christ, only read their Bible three to four times a week. My only thing with that is this. I'm glad you do that. But I encourage you to take it further. To make it a habit of reading your Bible every single day with the, mind, with the unusual not reading days. You know what I mean? I challenge you to see what would happen if you really pursued God through his word. Put up on that screen for me, Romans 10, 17. You know it. You could quote it by heart. I can quote it by heart. But I want us to look at it. Does it is it working? Jasmine, can you do that? Okay. Ah, okay. Let's read this together. Everybody, one, two, three. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, so then faith comes by hearing in hearing by the word of God. Let me add some understanding to it. We want people to come to faith in Christ. You know what we do? We need to share the word of God with them, right? That's how we look at that verse. Faith. People come to faith by hearing the word of God. That is how I've heard that verse preached all the time. Would you agree with it? I would. Amen? Listen. People don't just come to faith by, you you know, us telling them, oh, God loves you. People come to faith by us showing them what God, God says in his word about him, about Jesus, and about us. Right? They need to know that God is holy, Jesus is the Savior, and we stink. We do. We're deprived. We're depraved. We're dead in sins. We're not good. Amen? And that's why we need to repent and to look at him in faith. So that's that. But take it to another level. That verse doesn't change when you get saved. Faith grows, right, by hearing God's word. Do you see what that verse is saying? So to have power, we need the spiritual discipline in no order, prayer. To have power, we need the spiritual discipline of his word in our life. So let me give you an illustration of weight training. And then we'll be done. 
all right? year and a half ago, I started lifting weights, and I'll just, I'll pick a bench, because every, most everybody knows what a bench press is, right? Raise your hand if you know what a bench press is. Everybody raise your hand, because you know what a bench press is. You lay on a bench, you press, amen? Okay, so a year ago, when we first started training, my body was absolutely weak. It, it, you remember, I was falling all the time, and the reason I was falling is because my muscles were weak. So a year ago, I started lifting weights, and I could only bench press about 25 kilos. That's the bar and little, what, uh, twos, on, twos on the side. Now, I'm not super strong yet, but now I can rep 75 kilos. I can sit under the bar, and I can rep out a couple of 75s. Je Jerry can do, what, about 90, 100? That's my goal when I grow up one day. I will do 100, you know? But, but here's the point. 18 months from 25 to 75. Do you know how I got there? I got there by three days in the gym every week. Consistently, every week, three days in the gym. The same applies to spiritual growth. Physical growth is measured by how much you lift. Spiritual growth has measurements as well. How do you grow spiritually? One of the main aspects of spiritual growth is right there. Let's read it together again. Ready? One, two, three. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith grows, becomes stronger by hearing the words of Christ. In the Greek, that's exactly what it means. So, you can't be a strong Christian in the faith if you're not in the Word consistently. And I'm not getting on anybody. I'm just encouraging you. If you read it three days a week, praise God. Try for four. And when you get down to four, try for five. And then try for six. And then try for seven. And make it your goal to just read it every single day. And you know what? You don't have to read three chapters a day, even though your U version typically has you at three chapters. Read something, but read it systematically. I encourage you, don't do this. Ready? What am I going to read today? And just then, while she was still talking to the king, the prophet came. You, you never know what you're going to get. It's a good thing that you didn't find the verse, you know, and, you know, she took the nail and drove it through, Sir, what's his name? There you go. Sir, that guy's head. I mean, you don't want to read that way. Do you know you want to read systematically? Start somewhere, finish somewhere. I encourage you, if you've never read the Bible, don't start in Genesis. Start in Matthew. Read the New Testament. Read, go read an Old Testament. Go back and read the New Testament. This is not a speed drill. This is a life drill. All right? You want to do it for life. So we're talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. There's no formula, but there are some aspects. And in those aspects, there are some disciplines in our life that we can follow. We've talked about prayer. Communicate to God. Speak to him, listen to him, and read the Bible. Praise God you read it every day. Keep it up. Keep it up and, and just press on. Because your faith comes by hearing God's word. Lord, we love you. And we are so thankful for the work you do in our life. 